Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the third Sunday in Lent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, author of every mercy and of all goodness, who in fasting, prayer, and almsgiving have shown us a remedy for sin, look graciously on this confession of our lowliness, that we who are bowed down by our conscience may always be lifted up by your mercy. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses was looking after the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law priest of Midian. He led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the shape of a flame of fire, coming from the middle of a bush. Moses looked. There was the bush blazing, but it was not being burnt up. I must go and look at this strange sight, Moses said, and see why the bush is not burnt. Now the Lord saw him go forward to look, and God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Moses answered, come no nearer, he said, take off your shoes for the place on which you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your fathers, he said the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses covered his face, afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have seen the miserable state of my people in Egypt. I have heard their appeal to be free of their slave drivers. Yes, I am well aware of their sufferings. I mean to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a land rich and broad a land where milk and honey flow, the home of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Then Moses said to God, I am to go, then, to the sons of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, but if they ask me what his name is, what am I to tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This, he added, is what you must say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, you are to say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name for all time. By this name I shall be invoked for all generations to come. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is kind and merciful. My soul give thanks to the Lord, all my being. Bless his holy name. My soul give thanks to the Lord and never forget all his blessings. The Lord is kind and merciful. It is he who forgives all your guilt, 
who heals every one of your ills, who redeems your life from the grave, who crowns you with love and compassion. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord does deeds of justice, gives judgment for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to Israel's sons. The Lord is kind and merciful. The Lord is compassion and love, slow to anger and rich in mercy. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so strong is his love for those who fear him. The Lord is kind and merciful. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. I want to remind you, brothers, how our fathers were all guided by a cloud above them, and how they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in this cloud and in this sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, since they all drank from that spiritual rock that followed them as they went, and that rock was Christ. In spite of this, most of them failed to please God, and their corpses littered the desert. These things all happened as warnings for us, not to have the wicked lusts for forbidden things that they had. You must never complain. Some of them did, and they were killed by the destroyer. All this happened to them as a warning, and it was written down to be a lesson for us who are living at the end of the age. The man who thinks he is safe must be careful that he does not fall. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory to you, Word of God, Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, says the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Glory to you, Word of God, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some people arrived and told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with that of their sacrifices. At this he said to them, Do you suppose these Galileans who suffered like that were greater sinners than any other Galileans? They were not, I tell you. No, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen on whom the tower at Siloam fell and killed them, do you suppose that they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? They were not, I tell you. No. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but found none. He said to the man who looked after the vineyard, Look here, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and finding none. Cut it down. Why should it be taking up the ground? Sir, the man replied, Leave it one more year, and give me time to dig round it and manure it. It may bear fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord.
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So in the Gospel, the Lord Jesus is confronted with a truly horrible event. The brutality of Pontius Pilate is something that's attested to by ancient historians like Josephus and Philo. Um, And here we're told about a number of Galileans who were brutally murdered and then had their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrificial animals. Now, it's an extreme act of violence inflicted by a despotic ruler. But in the Jewish mindset, blood was a sign of the very life of the person. So to have their blood intermingled with the blood of animals is a truly distressing thought. And our Lord Jesus himself then brings up an instance of a terrible accident, a tower that had fallen over and crushed 18 people. Now, both of these instances show us just how vulnerable human life is to disaster. And on the one hand, we're vulnerable to the actions of others, like Pontius Pilate. And on the other, we're vulnerable to the ups and downs of circumstance, like a tower collapsing. We're not immune to tragedy. Now, one of the common responses in the face of such vulnerability is to ask about merit, desert. Have the victims of disaster somehow merited the misfortune that's overcome them? There's a great temptation to think like that because it makes sense of the apparent randomness and probably, you know, in a personal way, consoles us to think, well, I I do have a little bit of control over whether or not I'm subject to disaster because, you know, maybe I can make sure that I live my life in a way whereby I don't deserve it and therefore bad things won't happen to me. But the Lord Jesus says no. The victims of Pontius Pilate's bloodlust and the unfortunate casualties of the collapse of the Tower of Siloam are not receiving their just deserts. We might be tempted to think that this was just a notion that belonged to pre-scientific people, but you know what? There's a deep question of justice. And it's in a question that arises at the heart of humanity in the face of disaster and terror. Why me? Why do I suffer what I believe what I haven't deserved? Yeah, it's funny, I suppose. We, we tend only to ask this question about the sufferings we believe that we haven't merited. We don't tend to say, why me, about the gifts and graces that we haven't merited. <laughs> but nevertheless, the Lord's quick to point out that there's no direct line between personal sin and personal suffering. Sin does indeed bring about suffering, both for the sinner and the victim. But we see so often the prosperous sinner and the suffering innocent victim. And our lives aren't invulnerable to disaster. The holy ones aren't the ones who suffer the least in this life, just as the sinners aren't the ones who suffer the most. Uh, And surely Christ on the cross kind of epitomizes that reality. But what is interesting here, though, is that the Lord doesn't just separate sin from disaster entirely. We can't impute greater guilt to the unfortunate. That's true, just as we cannot impute greater innocence to the fortunate. But the Lord does say, but 
unless you repent. You will all perish as they did. How do these two statements stand side by side? Don't they contradict each other? But the Lord seems to shine a new light upon the whole question. Because what is sin? It's a turning away from God. And who is God? God is the source of life. We can't simply draw a straight line from tragedy to culpability, but we can point to the fact that sin and death go hand in glove. Repent, says the Lord, or you will all perish as they did. Perhaps not perish by the sword or under the weight of a tower, but death awaits us all unless we are in communion with God, the source of life. Now, this changes our perspective towards the vulnerability of our lives. Yes, we are still prone to suffering and disaster. Faith doesn't guarantee us comfort, a reality which is witnessed by countless saints. But my life is grounded in my relationship with God. He's the one who is the source of my life. And so the Lord tells us, repent. In Greek, the word is metanoiete. It comes from the word nous, which means mind or reason, and the preposition meta, which is beyond. To repent, to have a conversion, is to go beyond our present mind, our present understanding. To have a change, a change of heart, to turn. The tragedies of life, they have the ability to rock us to the core. And they offend our sense of justice as we struggle to find rhyme or reason why these things are happening. And so the Lord asks us to go beyond our present mind and to look toward God because our own minds aren't capable of perceiving the full scope of what's happening. In our sufferings, to look toward the Lord, who is the source of life, who sets us on a firm foundation. I will not die when I'm grafted into God, the source of life. Whatever about the tumbling towers and the Pontius pilots of the world, my life is finally made secure in God. And that is something that I can embrace with my freedom. I might not get what I deserve in my life in terms of fortune or favour, but repent. Be connected with God who is the source of life. And that rolling wheel of fortune can never crush you. There's a brilliant line that's put on the lips of Job. Um, if you remember Job in the Old Testament, he's, uh, he's got plenty of reason to complain. He's suffering terribly. He suffered the loss of all of his wealth. His kids all die, um, curiously, in a, in a building that collapses on them. And finally, his health fails as he's covered head to toe in festering wounds. Unlucky, right? Well, Job, the one who suffers more than what he justly deserves, declares in faith, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. 
I find those such incredible, powerful words. Because remember, like the very condition that that Job is suffering from is a skin complaint. <laughs> you know, he's head to toe in 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 wounds, in infection. And by the way, he's sitting on top of a dung heap, so <laughs> you can imagine he paints quite a sorry picture. But even in this abject misery, he's still trusting in God. But I suppose in human experience. It can kind of go either way. In the face of tragedy and suffering, we can either turn to God and say, Lord, I trust you and I know that my life is in your hands. Or we find people say, well, if there is a God, he clearly doesn't care. Actually, this human phenomenon um, is is described beautifully in a paragraph in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, It's in the section on the anointing of the sick. Uh, It's paragraph 1501, if if you're sort of reading along at home. Uh, Have a listen to this. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. There's nothing quite like struggle and suffering to sort out the essential from the superfluous. Ask a person dying of thirst if they want a block of chocolate. And the answer is immediately, no, give me water. But if you come to me, sitting in my office, warm, dry, content, what would you rather have? A glass of water or a block of chocolate? Trust me, I'm not going to ask you for ice cubes. But I think it adds another sort of layer of complexity here. Um, You know, okay, fine. We can look at these Galileans whose blood was mingled with the sacrifices. And, you know, we can look at these poor, unfortunate souls who had the Tower of Siloam fall upon them. Perhaps without too much hesitation or qualification, we can name those as disasters and tragic. But when we examine the history of our own lives, those things which appeared tragic at the time, or which felt like a grave injustice. You know, they may well have been extraordinarily painful and and probably, you know what, unfair. But perhaps it's a little bit hard to say so definitively, that was bad for me. Because often it is that struggle and that suffering that can bring us closer towards God, can reprioritize our hearts away from the superfluous towards the essential can make us live our lives with greater depth, turning away from, you know, whatever's shallow or frivolous, because it just it's just not enough when you're suffering. Perhaps our suffering caused us to lean upon our friends. And, you know, I think in those moments you find that the fair weather friends are the ones that disappear and the ones that stay become your true friends. Now, the reason why I bring it up is because I think it goes back to what Job was saying about trust. I know my Redeemer lives. That, you know what, 
Like when I'm connected with God, I'm not guaranteed a simple life. I'm not guaranteed a life that's less suffering than those who don't have faith. No, in fact, the Lord's going to invite me to pick up my cross and follow him. But here's the thing, in the face of that struggle and suffering, trust him. Because our life only comes from God. But more than that, the difficulties that we suffer through, those times of patient perseverance, those periods in my life when I'm kind of groping in the dark and not really knowing which way to turn, is it quite so easy in those moments to say, you know what, God, this is bad. Because no doubt the Lord is doing something in that moment. Now, it might not be just administering a painkiller, which is what we'd probably like the most, but God's doing something. And perhaps we need to be humble enough to say, look, Lord, I I suppose in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if what I'm enduring is good or bad, but Lord, in your hands, whatever you can do with it, do it. It can be a painful stripping of our attachments to things that are non-essential, but things which we love. And that reordering of life, oh, it can be excruciating. As we're invited to let go of those things which, you know, we may well just be addicted to. But the Lord reminds us with an instruction. Repent. It might just be that we're a fig tree that's not producing enough fruit and we're getting a bit of a pruning. It might just be that we're being surrounded by a bit of manure for a purpose. So, in the face of the burden, trust. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in the flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and no other. How my heart yearns within me. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.